Hello, dear friends. We're sincerely glad to greet you again. Today we're going to talk to the esteemed Igor Mikhailovich Danilov. Greetings. Igor Mikhailovich, I want to express enormous gratitude to you on behalf of our viewers for revealing and raising such an important topic as the influence of subpersonalities on human life. Thank you so much for the knowledge of how to recognize this phenomenon both in oneself and in other people. But the greatest gratitude is, of course, for the ways out and how to resist this influence. You know, the more knowledge, understandings and insights arise in each person, the more these puzzle pieces add up to an overall picture and a person suddenly feels inner freedom. And then, already in practice, experimentally, what you said is being proven, that the road to God becomes wide and smooth if a person clearly understands those very laws which are written by God Himself. We can clearly see to what extent this information about subpersonalities, about their influence on human life and how to deactivate subpersonalities has been distorted and substituted for centuries or even millennia and has actually reached our days in a limited amount, rather fragmented, with a huge substitution of concepts and meanings. But when you have these keys of knowledge, you surely find the true grain, and you already understand what is what. But there is a question in this regard, Igor Mikhailovich. Why is such an emphasis actually placed on distorting the information about subpersonalities? Well, the information is distorted not only about subpersonalities, but about the persons after that fate in general, and about a lot of things which concern that side, which we cannot perceive with ordinary earthly eyes. Why does this happen? The question is good, so to say, but the answer is also in plain sight, as people say. Why? Because if a person is aware of what happens to him after death, this changes many things in his life. Why? Because what is the most important and really the foundation of all religions, all religious trends and everything else, is the after-death fate. A person understands, he realizes that he is present here only for a short period of time, while after death, there comes eternity, so to say. And here's the question, where will a person be? Why? Because a human, as personality, or speaking the language of psychology at the subconscious level, he feels and understands that his existence doesn't end with the life of the body. And a person understands the transience of the time of his stay here. Why? Because looking at old people, he understands how quickly life passes by. Even if he is young, and it seems to him that he has his entire life ahead of him, when left alone, he still thinks about the transience and what will happen afterwards. And in this regard, exactly, those who influence this three-dimensional reality of ours from the other side have done their best to conceal the reality. Why? If people really knew if that knowledge which the Prophets brought, that knowledge which Jesus Christ brought, if people didn't distort it, but conveyed it in purity, we would now be living in the creative society. That's number one. Number two, no matter 
how many billions of us there were on this planet, we would all aspire to God, with the rarest exception. Why? Because what awaits a person after death is catastrophic, and no one wants that fate for oneself. That's why it was so carefully disguised, distorted and concealed. And plus, one more thing, let's call things by their proper names. When the dead sees the opportunity to dictate to the living, the first thing they begin to do is to satisfy their hunger by any means possible. Therefore, they have altered, let's say, religious trends, they've done it to please themselves. Indeed, let's take a look, nowadays there are even countries where serving the dead has been elevated to a cult of the entire country. People don't even think of what they are doing, because when a human becomes dependent on a dead person, he becomes his slave after death. This is scary. Not only does he have the fate of a subpersonality, but he is also, excuse me, a slave. A slave to the same dead person. And that's for ages. It's really scary. So this knowledge was initially made a secret, and then it was already erased and substituted as much as possible. As long as there were a lot of people who knew it all, it was conveyed. When the Prophets came, when Jesus Christ came, they talked about this. But in those days, they communicated directly with people. There were no technical opportunities. Well, those very records were still distorted. Therefore, the information was conveyed very slowly, so to say, and to a very small circle of people. That's why it was very easy to stop and distort it all. That's the way the world is arranged, when the dead rule over the living. But if we look at our world, then indeed, since the establishment of the consumerist format, and up until now, the dead started ruling the world more and more. And look at what we have. After all, is today's world order actually aimed at meeting the needs of a human, both in the spiritual aspect and in the material one? Or it's not clear why, but we've created such a world in which, let's put it mildly, it's not very comfortable for a living person. Isn't that true? Inger Mikhailovich, guys, also ask a question in this regard. Does a person actually feed subpersonalities in each of his days by releasing negative emotions? Yes, of course. Again, a subpersonality, if it is strong enough and if it can influence a human personality, and make him become emotional, then it receives more and more energy. This is its dinner. Whereas, can a subpersonality be satiated? We've already answered, no, friends, it's impossible to feed a subpersonality enough. Can you become satiated with living or enjoying life? No, that's unrealistic. If a person embarked on the path of hoarding, will he ever say, that's all, I have enough? No. 
This is fractally repeated. Subpersonality's hunger cannot be eliminated. It wants more and more all the time. But when it eats, it feels much better, meaning it really comes to life, so to say. It gets into more familiar or desirable conditions for it, let's say. That's why we have such a situation in the world. Igor Mihalovich, there is a category of people who get tremendous pleasure when they see other people suffering and pain, or they literally provoke people to emotion. Also, right. And they literally get a kick from that. Of course. When they feel that a person has responded to this provocation. Surely. Can a subpersonality in a human act as an instigator? Let's put it so. This is a completely unnatural behavior for a human. When a person is free from third forces and from subpersonalities, he will never provoke anyone to emotion or cause pain and suffering to another person. It's unrealistic. If a person becomes so harsh, you know, provoking everyone to a fight. Yes, so principle. Yes, a nasty person, so to say. Right. Who causes quarrels and some squabbles everywhere, then it's definitely either third forces or a subpersonality. But there is also a huge difference in who influences a person. Let's not forget, we once described it, and there's the book, As Osmos, where it is well described, about Kanduks and their system, Isnils and the like, precisely those who provoke. These are people who fall into the web of a Kanduk. Well, on the one hand, it sounds, you know, really fictional, somehow people cannot believe. Is there really such a thing? Well, my friends, if you look attentively and observe, you will see it all. You will see how it affects you, you will see how it affects and manifests in other people. This has been said, known and written about since the dawn of time. Yes, Tatiana is right. Everything was hidden. Let's say, those very subpersonalities did their best, those very priests helped. It's just that our consumerist… Black was called white. Yes, our consumerist format is a world of domination of the dead. It's a world where a living person is served as a dish to the dead. This is really true. Look around and see for yourselves. Yes, it is possible to explain something from the perspective of psychology or psychiatry, from the perspective that, let's say, such a culture has developed among people or something else. But how to explain it when a person changes before your eyes. He simply becomes a different person, facial expression, intonation and everything else, and he immediately starts provoking everyone. As soon as everyone has argued and fought with each other, and who hasn't encountered that, this person becomes normal again, he is cheerful, he is joyful, he feels good. So this is vampirism, you know, like people say. It is so, in the literal sense of the word. And it's a fact that there are Kanduks, it's just that those who haven't delved into or studied this, it's easy for them to say, this cannot be true, you are fudging the facts. It is said precisely by those, you know, who seize the microphone from that side and try to influence not only their own personality, but other people as well. By hiding facts, there is no other way to call it. Why? Because the action of those very Kanduks is so obvious. Well, 
Just talk to those very suicides, who instigated them, what they felt and what they saw. It cannot be explained from a psychological perspective in any way. Those are obvious substitutions. When it happens, it cannot happen without any interference of third forces. Why? Because a human as personality will never think of depriving himself of life, let's say. The very function or a need of personality is an aspiration for life. Not just life, but life eternal. Yes, consciousness stands in the way, it can mislead. I'll put it so, our consciousness has such a written program to make personality work for the system. But there are plenty of others, those very conducts, with their web, in fact, and the very fact that they reincarnate and so on. Yes, this again sounds like science fiction, but if that wasn't true, you know, it would be great, but unfortunately, there are plenty of them. Trace the suicide statistics and you will understand everything. You'll see everything for yourselves, friends. Do your research if you have doubts. If someone in you says that it cannot be true and stubbornly dissuades you from that, look from the position of an observer at who dictates that to you. Observe yourself as a structure, not only physical, but also an energy one. I am more than sure, if you approach this seriously, you know, not from the position of denial, I deny everything just because I deny. Well, those people are already goners, they are already slaves of the system, so to say. Whereas if a person is inquisitive, people say, this is unscientific, that is scientific. Just approach this precisely from the perspective of science, right? This should be certainly studied and observed. The only object you can observe thoroughly at any time of the day is yourselves, friends. Go ahead and start studying it, take a look. I haven't seen a single atheist yet who wouldn't become a believer after beginning to study himself. And this is true, a lot of people are afraid of that. If I start digging in myself, I'll go crazy, such an excuse, you know? If you are told such a thing, my friend, no church will be able to help you anymore. That's the truth, because you're already a slave of a dead man. You see how the world is arranged? You once said that, of course, most of those psychological and psychiatric problems are certainly connected directly with the invisible world, for the most part. Of course. You know, it's just that everything is arranged in our world in such a way. There are congenital, genetic disorders, there is acquired schizophrenia, yes, I agree. You know, this constitutes such a small percentage, but everything else is the tricks of third forces. Why? Because it's profitable. We have touched upon the people who provoke. Yes. The difference is in the following. Let's say, if a person gets into the net of a kanduk, the kanduk can drive him to suicide. He never cares about a person. The main thing for him is emotion. Or to make a person his slave, and the person will act in the same way, he will provoke everyone to quarrels and emotions in order to collect tribute. Let's say, a quarrel is what we pay for not engaging in spiritual self-development, for not exploring the world that we don't see with our own eyes. That's what the tribute is paid for, a tithe, or even more. It's not a tithe if you get into a kanduk's net, he takes up to 70% or more of your life. This is true, look at the people who were hooked. 
who cannot be helped either by psychiatry or by any signs of yours, and no religion can help them, a person is withering away, he is just being torn apart inside. It feels like he's being eaten alive, and he is being eaten alive in the literal sense of the word. That's the difference, you see. So, in a Kanduk system, people are not spared. Yes, he can spare those who are close to him. Those who are initiated are a taboo for everyone in general. As for those who work on the sidelines, precisely the conductors, does he really spare them? No. He will make them work, and at the right moment, he will take their lives too and make them his slaves. At the same time, he has the power that allows him to do this. And being already a subpersonality, he feels much better than the living people feel. But it's all temporary. It's only for a short period of time. But what will be the retribution afterwards? Is it worth it? In my opinion, it's not. As for a subpersonality in a human, yes, it will provoke a person into a fight. Not always. It's not a rule, but it does have such a function. However, it doesn't take a person's life. It is interested in keeping a person alive. It is even not interested in a person going to jail. Well, unless the subpersonality is a jailbird, of course. I translate, unless it's an inveterate prison dweller. If it's a crime lord there, and it spent its whole life in prison, then whomever it has taken power over, will spend his whole life in prison too. Why? Because prison is its home. It all depends on the master. If subpersonality is the master, personality has zero chance, and it will be a slave to that crime lord after death too. Or, let's say, such an option as being in the hospital, that very psychiatric hospital. A subpersonality is not interested in that. Why is it not beneficial for it? Restriction. That is, its actions are restricted. Moreover, in psychiatric practice, they apply medications that reduce the brain activity, I'll put it carefully, which means that they sever the connection with subpersonality, and this is not beneficial for it. It suffers losses, for everything passes through the neural group. That is, the brain is the link, it is the conductor and the connecting link. So, as soon as a person falls into oblivion, subpersonality, cannot get to personality, there is a disconnection. There is a disconnection from both consciousness and subpersonality. Of course, it's unprofitable for it, so it will do anything. We studied and observed this many times, and we are not the only ones. Lots of scientists who dealt with this issue saw, understood and observed. They observed how a subpersonality hides, even taking an electroencephalogram in order to catch it is extremely difficult until you make a deal with it. If you make a deal, you will take the EEG. If you don't make a deal, the subpersonality manifests and leaves when it wants to. It shows up, commits a crime and leaves. And that's it. And there's nothing to punish personality for, because it didn't commit it. And as for the dead, you cannot punish it in any way, it's already dead. Ingrid Mikhailovich, there is also the following question. You said that subpersonality basically feeds on an emotion given by a human who had succumbed to the provocation. Well, it's an 
additional discharge of energy, and there's nothing more valuable than Vril. There is another situation. After all, a person who was weak, so to say, and succumbed to this provocation is not isolated in society. He interacts with his family, friends and colleagues. Of course. One way or another, his negative emotional state is contagious and affects other people. But does the personality feed only on the person who has reacted, on whom the provocation was directed, or on this entire chain of people? I see your point. No. Is the conduct system that feeds on the entire chain, whereas subpersonality, excuse me, feeds only on the one whom it provokes. In other words, subpersonality is limited in its capabilities in general by, well, I would say, by the very energy structure of a human, that's for understanding. All it can do is interact through the structure, or interact directly with personality, if it can reach it. Those are relatives, loved ones or items. You and I already talked about this in the previous video. I understand that people are interested, I understand that it needs to be revealed. You know, this topic has been covered by the dust for millennia, and people were afraid to bring it up and stir it. But it's true, friends. Do you know why else they were afraid? Because it undermines all the foundations and pillars of all religions and whatnot. If you tell the truth, it's… But on the other hand, we should not be silent about what is important either, is not humane either. Also, Igor Mikhailovich, our viewer has shared her story and asked for advice. The situation is the following. She has been taking care of her mother for six years already. Her mother is a very old woman of 87, a disabled wheelchair person diagnosed with senile dementia. I'll read it out verbatim. If I can somehow handle the physical difficulties of looking after such a person, then from a psychological point of view it is surely difficult. Through my mother, the system creates such provocations and attacks on me that are not easy to endure. I have a feeling that a replacement takes place, and instead of the dear and near person, someone very cunning and devious acts in her body who knows which buttons to push in order to disbalance me. And it seems to me that at those moments a subpersonality connects to her because her facial expression and behavior change and so on. So the first question is, is it possible that a subpersonality can connect to such people? Very often. Again, that very subpersonality will do everything it can, everything that depends on it, to keep that person alive as long as possible. Why? This is its home, its opportunities. If it gains enough power for reincarnation, it has a chance to take over the next personality as well. So look at what this person writes here, that this began to manifest with the development of dementia. Yes. So, the weakening of personality has led to an opportunity for a subpersonality to manifest itself. It's a fact that this is a subpersonality. You can see that even a person who is familiar with the knowledge, although not profoundly, can understand what is going on. Why? First of all, this can be felt. Well, that's for those who have really been developing spiritually and studying it all. Secondly, you can see it. It is simply obvious. Because she's right, the person changes. Not only does her mood change, she changes in expression. Physically, she changes. I'll give you a simple example. It happened quite a long time ago, let's say. During my medical practice, a patient came to me and asked me to come and examine her mother. Her mother hardly walked, it was hard for her to stand up. Well, in those days, it was still the Soviet Union, 
Not everyone had a car, and it wasn't all that easy. Besides, they lived not that far away, so they convinced me to come. So I came. There was an old lady in her 80s who could barely stand up. She was hardly able to sit down at the table. She could talk while she was more or less in her right mind, so to say. Obviously, she was diagnosed with arthrosis of the knee joints, cox arthrosis and whatnot. In other words, she could barely walk, besides, she had a severe cardiac condition and had been sick for a long time. It was clear that it wasn't my specialization as a doctor, but I could at least support, have a talk, give some advice, and mostly for my patient, for the peace of her mind, that she was doing everything she could for her mom. That was actually my motivation, why I came to her. But here's what I saw. As soon as I entered, I saw that the person was controlled by third forces. Let's put it carefully. So, while talking to her, I observed the following interesting thing. She easily got up, just like a young woman, took a cup, poured herself some tea, she was talking to me, continued to talk and all that. Then she sat down, put the cup on the table, and in a second she said, oh, you poured a cup of tea for me, thank you. You see? Absolutely. When I first saw her getting up from the bed, she was barely able to cover two meters to the table with the help of walking sticks, and barely managed to sit down. Obviously, Grandma had a lot of health problems, but then she stood up and walked. Like a young woman, I mean, there were no signs of problems with her joints whatsoever. A lot of relatives, while taking care of their parents, also note that, indeed, at some point they suddenly become so nimble and agile. Completely different people. What kind of metamorphosis is taking place? You know, it was this very case, that's why I remember it very well, that motivated me to search for a solution, let's say, to the problems of joint diseases and the like. After all, when a person is not under control, in other words, he is free as personality, he is very ill and cannot move, but when an intruder takes possession of him, his problems with joints disappear. Perfectly understanding and knowing what cox arthrosis is and what arthritis of the knees is, when it all creaks and doesn't move, where can an airy tread appear from and how? You see? I understand, there is suggestion, placebo, anything can happen, a human can, the analgesic effect, that is, endogenous opiates, the brain is blocking and all that, we see a lot of that on stage. You know, when those, let's say, representatives of religion come out and conduct such an on-stage therapy session, supposedly healing and so forth. Yes, many are healed, why? Placebo works, so to speak. But this is supposedly done in the name of Jesus Christ and so on. They exploit God's name in order to enrich themselves, so to say. But at the same time, they show elementary psychology tricks. So in that case, if a person really has problems with joints, he can get up, no matter how much they suggest to him, even under the influence of hypnosis. We also checked this later with my friend, believe me. When we studied this problem, we brought people into different stages of hypnosis. And still, even though a person doesn't feel pain or anything else, he stands up, but he stands up, taking into account the lesion of his joints. However, when a person is possessed by other forces, he acquires flexibility, dexterity and lightness. 
That's a separate topic, but it is very interesting. And I spent several years studying this, but then the workload increased and I had to deal with other issues. We were dealing with regeneration and many other things. So I didn't manage to bring that study to its logical conclusion. Why? I didn't have enough time. And later on I was sidetracked. But in general, this topic is very interesting, and we really found a lot of interesting facts in it, which confirm, you know, sort of a paranormal phenomenon, as they say nowadays. So the most interesting thing is, well, this is for doctors who will be interested. When studying, well, we didn't have either MRI or anything else back then, not even a CT scan. It was extremely difficult to do, but we did X-rays. For example, the X-rays of those very hip joints showed a dismal condition. After manifestation of those kind of forces in a person, he showed such an amazing ease of movement and all that. Moreover, with deflections, he passed all the tests like an almost healthy person. Well, for those who have no medical background, let's say the joints didn't crutch, they bent and bent easily. And when we took an X-ray in this state, the picture is one and the same. In other words, the movements were unjustified. The only thing that we noticed was that, yes, a joint cleft appeared. So is there a release? of synovial fluid into the joint or what? You know, we also approach it from the perspective of physics and physiology at the same time and everything else. I mean, it cannot work just like that. Okay, I'm sorry, friends, I have digressed, but it's an interesting topic. So, I go back to that grandma, sorry. Indeed, what this woman is describing is very similar, and I would say it's 99% that this is a manifestation of a subpersonality, and it will tease her. Such is the function of subpersonalities. The point is that you shouldn't react to such people, you just shouldn't. By the way, that was the second part of the question. These situations make me very upset because they are a serious obstacle on the path of my spiritual development, and every time they throw me back. In the first years I ever had suicidal thoughts, but now I've become stronger, thanks to my husband's support and, most importantly, thanks to the videos with the participation of Igor Mikhailovich Danilo. But does such an obstacle, such a challenge on a person's spiritual path hinder a person it doesn't hinder. to help? I would say it's the opposite. She doesn't need help, she should simply study. And I would say it's not an obstacle, but an aid. After all, she sees with her own eyes that another world also exists, the one that people know nothing about, the one that isn't taught about at either universities or schools, isn't mentioned in the media anywhere and anything, the one that is denied by all the scientists in the world, you see? But it exists despite everything. And this is a serious aid on the spiritual path. Yes. As for the fact that she reacts to this, I'll put it this way, friends, you know, many get into such situations, you shouldn't treat a sick person as a healthy one. And you shouldn't demand from a sick person what we demand from a healthy one. Moreover, it's a person with dementia. Well, what is there to talk about? Turn this into humor and enjoy life. Laugh it off, I'm putting it simply. And enjoy the fact that you have a tremendous chance to see firsthand what can happen to you too if you don't engage in spiritual development. This is true.
to become as a personality and then to torment old people and their relatives. Is this really the destiny of a human? Is this the meaning of our existence as human beings? Is this what God created us for? A simple question. Or to gain life and become an angel? When you see these manifestations with your own eyes, you have something to think about. Meanwhile, you shouldn't be offended at a person. He is sick. And you shouldn't demand from him what we can demand from the healthy. I'll repeat, in order for you to understand, this is just a sick person. Can he stand on your spiritual path? No, he cannot. No one and nothing, not even the devil, can stand on your spiritual path if gaining life eternal is the goal of your life. Whereas if you have many goals, then you don't need the devil either. Then you will bring yourselves to such a state where later on, being in the bodies of some grandmas, you will get on the nerves of their relatives. It's a choice. It's the freedom of choice. In one of the videos you said that if a person sees a provocation and realizes that someone is trying to lead him off the path either through a person or in some other way, Rejoice. Rejoice. You are armed. You see it and you can act in a different way. Firstly, you are armed. And secondly, you are worth it. Since someone rises against you, well, isn't that so? But when they want to simply rob you and simply eat you and you see that, rejoice as well, right? Why rejoice, my friend? Rejoice precisely because you see it. It means you already know a lot. It means you understand a lot. And you already have a chance to confront it. Keep your demons inside, tied up, so that they don't react and be like a grown-up person. Then you won't feed the dead either, and everything will be fine. Igor Mikhailovich, you also said today that subpersonalities take care of their career. Exactly. While there are situations, I would actually like to dot some eyes when the deceased come to a person in dreams. In particular, the situation when a person has a dream about a deceased relative who literally saves his life. The relative says, for example, get out of the burning hut, wake up, now the hut is on fire. Or he says, don't go on a business trip tomorrow. And the person sees that indeed, the plane in which he was supposed to fly has crashed. And of course, people conclude that those dead relatives love them so much that they take care of their lives even after death. What is the reason for such care? Well, I'll answer as follows. For example, I also like Mahan. I'll put it another way. You have a favorite goat. It gives you wool. You make soft gloves out of it. You make warm jackets for winter. It gives you milk. And it suddenly goes to a precipice. And you see that. Won't you save it? Will you save it, friends? That's the answer. You shouldn't look for anything soulful in the dead, anything spiritual, and what we call love and care. The only thing the dead care about is their appetite and quenching their own thirst. That is, we are their food and water. And in this case, they will take care of us if they feed off of us, let's say. So in these cases, it suggests that this relative was eating that person. 
and in the dream he simply made an attempt to preserve his assets, nothing more than that. While everything else is just, you know, speculation, it is consciousness playing along with the system, why they are on the same side, so to say. The player here is, of course, subpersonality, meaning the dead relative, and personality, that is the person who is telling this. But fans of this subpersonality are the whole side of the shadows. They are the ones who help each other and support one another. And when a person wakes up and remembers what he was told, at this point consciousness immediately starts saying, yes, he did, and so forth. This person doesn't go on a business trip, and it turns out that the plane crashes. Were there cases like that? Yes, there were. Hence, the talk about that. Or don't get on the ship, on the Titanic, it will sink. And a person leaves, doesn't get on it, and the Titanic sinks. And here appears the guardian angel, the relative who came to me. Yes. He loves me so much, and so on. And that's it, that person becomes his slave forever. Is that a good favor? I'll put it this way, as a business, for that subpersonality, it is very good. But for a living person, it's a delusion. But this is actually picked up by priests of all sorts. It is father for them, already their father. And all those who serve the prince of this world take advantage of that. And here's another story about how subpersonality is supposedly the breadwinner of the family after death. The story is that a woman became a widow and found herself alone with a child. She surely was in a very serious financial dead end, a difficult financial situation. So she had a dream where her deceased husband was telling her where a stash was how to actually find a very large amount of money hidden somewhere. She woke up in the morning, suddenly found that amount of money, and concluded that he loved her so much that he took care of her even after death. Why would a subpersonality need to be such a breadwinner? Because subpersonality wants to eat very much. And that subpersonality was eating this woman. As for the fact that it told her, of course, it's again a struggle for its assets. My friends, you can find millions of such stories. All of them are true and all of them are real. This is really so. We studied some of the cases and in sufficient detail. This, what you're telling us, is not science fiction yet. There are other more interesting cases. Never mind, friends. I understand that you want to hear, there are plenty of them. Find confirmation for yourselves, then you will find them. Right? That's more interesting. But in all cases, the dead help the living only in order to eat, that is, to survive, or, let's say, to improve their own existence in hell at the expense of the living, and subsequently to turn the one it eats into its slave. And there is nothing humane here anymore, nothing near and dear, Although in a dream it comes in the most beautiful wrapper, in a cool picture, as a loving relative and so on, you know, there were a lot of stories. Let's say, okay, I'll tell you one of them. A grandfather died. He left behind a daughter. The daughter had a son, his grandson, as it turns out. And the grandson was already a big dunce in his twenties and so on. Suddenly the grandson gets into the most serious trouble. It turns out that it was just the beginning of the 90s. The guy 
really wanted to go into business, but he did it in such a way that he could have lost his life too. And at the moment when he began to seriously think about suicide, because there were threats, hopelessness, so to say, the threats from, let's call them former business partners and the like, the man had no way out, had given everything he could, and he couldn't give anything else. And at that point, in a dream, his grandfather came to him, just before the day he decided to commit suicide. And his grandfather told him where he had buried a treasure, a real treasure. According to his grandfather's story, this guy went and found a jug, really a jug with gold coins and so on, valued at a very large amount. The thing is that later, when this treasure was studied, this treasure had been there for so many years, I don't remember exactly, but it had been there for several centuries. There was no way this grandfather could have put it there, but he helped his grandson. This is such mysticism, you know, mixed up with subpersonalities, dead people and what not. This story created a bit of a stir. Because of what? Because this young man was naturally caught selling gold coins. They began to investigate, and this story came out. And a good friend of mine was exactly a psychiatric consultant on this subject. He was testing this guy because the militia didn't understand. At that time, the police were called militia. They didn't understand whether he was crazy or wanted to avoid punishment, although the punishment was ridiculous. There was nothing so terrible. But they didn't understand his behavior, how it is that the grandfather came and told about the treasure, regarding which the involved experts say that this treasure was there for several hundred years. How can that be? It turns out it can. Why? Because the grandfather was protecting his own assets. That's the entire answer. Yes, in this case, with this woman, it turns out that by taking advantage of this property, she opened these gates through which the subpersonality even more… I mean, this property belonged to that person, didn't it? No? No, the fact wasn't even in that property. Simply for the sake of being recalled, right? Or anything else. This suggests that he had already been devouring her, he had already been in contact with her and so forth. But apparently she was in a very acute situation, and he simply could have lost her as his asset. Yes, he would have gained a slave. Who else would recollect him? Yes, it is good to have a slave, but when it's a living person, he pays more. You see, in other words, it is much more profitable for a subpersonality to deal with the living people, because it might fail to win over the next one. Therefore, this kind of help doesn't indicate anything. Least of all, care or love. Yes, he does care. But again, he cares from the position of his own interests. Just like that grandfather with that kid, right? Igor Mikhailovich, what if, for example, relatives are well aware that their deceased relative is a person who dirtied his hands, corrupt, cheated and offended people, so they decide that it would be good to pay the tithe, but not in the amount of 20%, but 10%. They might not give him peace, but somehow minimize the impact of the subpersonality on those who are currently living. Is it possible to minimize the impact of a subpersonality? Well, it's obviously people who are engaged in commerce themselves. You see, why? Because… No big deal. Well, no big deal, yes. The habit of hiding income, you know. As many people do, let's say. They do not declare everything. 
But I'll put it simply, after all, this is not a tax agency. What is 10% or those very 20% is an equivalent of that person's life, of his attention and his energy, that's where he invested them. Then I have a question, why do they even give a tithe? Go ahead, take it and use it if you're such a miser, right? Well, it's greed. Okay, greed, use it. It's not a big deal. What about the situation when there are two heirs and they have divided property of the deceased person 50-50? One of them understands that, in principle, it would be good to pay a tithe and he is ready to donate 5% from his part. But the second heir doesn't understand why this should be done. He's not ready to do that. What should be done in such a case? Again, it is possible to allow greed to win out. What for? Everything is already fine. The dead man is already, let's say, buried. Or he's dead anyway. The property has already been received, life is getting better, right? What for? But if a person actually knows and understands what kind of If impact... a person knows, understands and approaches it from this perspective, then it is simpler for him to renounce his share of the inheritance altogether and not to take a dead man onto himself, so as not to become his slave in the end, my friend. It's much simpler and more correct. And since this is actually a frequent situation, you know, when an inheritance is divided between two or four people, and one understands, while the others grudge to pay the tithe. They say, we'll waste the money, and so on. What a nonsense, it's ours. Well, let them rejoice, let them use it. But the question here is that this man who understands should either pay 10% of everything, meaning for all, or not pay and live like everyone else. People also asked the following question about the tithe. What if a person realizes that his relatives and friends are a little bit untrustworthy and he doubts that they will pay the tithe for him and he doubts that he will achieve spiritual liberation? This often happens too. Can he pay the tithe himself during his lifetime? This often happens too. And thus, somehow guarantee for himself at least some posthumous destiny in the form of peace. I'll put it this way. This started, let's say, in the beginning of the establishment of the Knights Templar, when the second Alatiara were formed. And that's when such people appeared. If we dig deeper, at the time of, let's say, the ancient Alatyara, there were actually few such people who were given peace in exchange for their property. Again, let me explain. It wasn't so much a dead man who paid off, as it was the living who protected themselves from the dead man. That's the meaning of the tithe. Meanwhile, the tithe is 10% of the property of a person who didn't follow the spiritual path, who didn't earn peace for himself. But he earned certain property, what could it be, for example, that very pot of flowers, as we said. All his life he has been growing a flower, and with his own hands he molded a pot for it. That's all that is left of his attention over his entire life is the equivalent of his life. And it was necessary to give 10% of it to those very Alatyara, to break the chain with the dead. But 90% remained. And the person could use that property without any harm, that is, the dead man didn't come to him anymore. And, as a bonus, he helped his relative, meaning the relative didn't suffer and was no longer an active subpersonality. He no longer threatened not only this relative, but all the living. And he didn't suffer himself, he gained peace and sleep. So everything was quite fair. But when a person dirties his hands, for example, let me go back to that point, 
and his relatives do not want to donate a double tithe, perhaps a tithe will be enough. This is ridiculous. Well, do not donate at all, no one is forcing you. If you want to be a slave of a dead man, be one. Isn't that so? Pardon my cynicism, but this is ridiculous to me. Why? Because a person should go to God. He should follow the spiritual path, his goal must be life, and then he won't be afraid of any dead man. But as Tatiana said now, I understand there are people who are busy at work, they feel their own weakness, they feel that they won't achieve life, they even doubt that they will attain peace. But being intelligent people and having the knowledge, they want to protect their relatives from themselves as dead people, or to protect themselves, let's say, to gain peace. So yes, this did happen, people paid the tithe, they brought the tithe of all their property, and later on they donated a tithe from their every income to the Alathyara. In this way, a person protected himself, but he also protected his family and friends, he didn't just leave them an inheritance, he left them a clean inheritance that would do them no harm, and they could do with it whatever they wanted. Meanwhile, he himself gained peace, without relying on relatives and their help, because people are greedy creatures, especially when it comes to other people's wealth. Isn't that so? Igor Mikhailovich, does this practice work nowadays, when people donate well, a tithe, let's say, to a temple of God, or when they allocate 10%, say, of the estate of the deceased for noble causes, for example, to buy equipment for a surgery unit at a hospital, and so on? I'll put it this way. One shouldn't confuse forgiveness and charitable actions. What you have listed is charity. For example, if a person gives a tithe for his religion or for a temple, this is great, this means he isn't greedy, but a good and kind person, what's wrong with that? He uses this temple, for example, or he wants to build a temple, that's great. It's, you know, some people go to church, other people go to other temples. It doesn't matter, but it's his temple where he goes, where he can feel good, where he meets with his friends, where he prays, at least, somehow he strives for God. What's wrong with that? Well, this is sponsorship. Again, let's look at this sensibly. Regardless of religion, does a temple require maintenance? It does. It needs to be cleaned and washed. Firstly, it has to be built for certain money. Secondly, it has to be equipped, that means heating and electricity. It all costs money. It should be kept clean and tidy. When you come, you like it when it's clean, right? Someone has to clean it. Okay, let's even assume that someone cleans it on a volunteer basis, without a salary. But detergents for cleaning do cost money. Water and sewage cost money. Everything costs money. Where does this money come from? Again, from people's donations, right? Plus, a priest should be sustained, plus the priest has a bunch of bosses, he has a family, and the bosses have families too. This is normal, it's their business. But you have to sustain this so that all of this would work, right? Here's the answer. Igor Mikhailovich, you said that the tithe had lost worked in the time of the Knights Templar. And that was forgiveness. Well, you and I have now been talking about charity, just like if a person takes, I don't know, 10% of the inheritance of a deceased relative, 
and gives it to charity, buys something for children. Yes, he's done a good thing. But will he and the subpersonality get help? Of course not. For what merits? A simple question, for what merits, friends? For being a kind, good person? Well, that's wonderful. If he's a kind and good person and follows the spiritual path, he really strives, then he has no reason to fear for himself, for his family and friends whom that relative can do harm. But excuse me, who prevents relatives from embarking on the spiritual path and going to God? They don't want to, they do not succeed. Well, they don't want to and they do not succeed. Let's suppose a person doesn't want a deceased relative to influence his relatives in the future by leaving his inheritance. He wants to do something good. Well, that's wonderful. If he really wants to, this will work, but only if it is transferred to the Alatyara to those who are successors and those who received this law, because it originated exactly from them. Now, let's take a look. You and I already mentioned this in one of the videos. After all, this practice began long before Sumerians, and Sumerians described the tithe. By the way, Sumerians already described that tithe which a person was supposed to bring from every income if he wanted to attain peace. They already had this written down as a set of rules. Pardon me, not that much time had passed between the Alatyara and the Sumerians. Therefore, this story of the tithe, so to say, is still alive even today, but it was used by people in religion, though it's a completely different context. I'll give you a simple example. Can forgiveness be granted in exchange for that very tithe or property, whatever, or the double tithe, if those people who are keen on trade are not too greedy? Can it work if they bring it to a priest in a temple, for the temple? It can't. Why? There are clear laws. First of all, there has to be a group of the Alatyara. Could this be done by someone individually? That's impossible and unrealistic. It is the right that God gave for protecting the living from the dead. Everything else, it's in our understanding that money and property have value. While in the understanding of the spiritual world and again in the understanding of the dark world, it is energy, it's the vital energy, it's an equivalent, and it has nothing to do with what we call money, property and so on. It's something greater, it's the vital energy, it's the power of real, is the most precious thing that can be. And no matter how we exchange it, it seems to me that you and I discussed this in the previous video. Yes. What's the point conversion. in that? Any conversion is still the same power, it flows from one state into another, that's the point. That's why, let's say, in order to attain forgiveness, you cannot just give 10% instead of 20%, nothing will work out. With whom and how will you bargain? You are not in a tax office, really. You know, it's already even laughable to discuss these topics, to be honest. But I realize that people should know and understand. So, when, let's say, this part of the life of a person who passed away is given to the Alatyara, this chain is broken. Why? Because they go towards God. They do not have material values in the sense we have, as humans, existing in this consumerist format. They have a different attitude. 
and a different meaning, and the meaning was exactly in saving the living from the dead. That's the point. And as a bonus, a dead person attained peace. But when people bring the tithe, I don't know, to their priest, pastor and the like, first of all, it doesn't matter, even if there are twelve priests, but they are people, who often don't go to God at all or anywhere except home and to work. You know, I'm sorry, I'm exaggerating, but this is true. People grow up. How can a person who hasn't known God but serves Satan save you or forgive your relative for even a fraction of his vital energy? A simple question. Why am I saying so? Let me answer. Nowadays, people attend various temples of different religions, bring tributes and percentages of their profits. What for? Do they bring that for the sake of protecting themselves and their family and friends? No. They go there and bring that tribute so that God would give them success in business or at work, health and everything else. Isn't that true, friends? After all, this is business, it is actually a consumerist format. So they bring the tithe for God to give them a hundred times more. That's what it is actually said, isn't it? But this is said about God's love. When you send your love to the Lord God, my friend, you get a hundredfold back from Him. Whereas when you bring unnecessary pieces of paper, give them to your priest and hope that the Lord will send something to you. Yes, it will be sent, only not by the Lord God, but by Satan. And you should know this, because you have brought them into his hands. This is true. Let's just say, this world has its own prince, and his name is Shaitan, Satan, the devil, whatever. It doesn't matter what we call him. His essence won't change because of that. So, you see, when people come and bring donations to a temple, especially when they cast their names on a bell for them to sound in the hope for the spiritual world, this is stupid and ridiculous. It's just stupid and ridiculous, because what they bring in pursuit of a material benefit, well, I'm saying once again, they come not just with a hope that they will be rewarded in the spiritual world, but that they will receive something right now. And priests perform fortune-giving rituals, sanctify their houses. Isn't that true? They chase demons in houses and sanctify cars. He blessed the iron horse. They bless people for success? You know, it's truly funny. Those are adults who, well, in any case, I believe that if a person becomes a priest or joins the clergy to serve God, as they say, he must have a thorough knowledge. And when a person knows he won't engage in this kind of stupidity, because it is nonsense to swap the alive for the dead, this is simply… serving Satan is insanity. This is really so. And when a priest, in the name of God, Allah, Jesus Christ, or whoever else blesses a car or cleanses a house of some demons, he casts them out by hanging various drawings of his or something else. 
Will the demons not touch a human there? Demons actually live in a human. How can he cast a demon from a human? He, who has been walking along with a demon throughout his life, answer this question for me. It's just business, isn't it? But it's a business pleasing to Satan. Is this business actually pleasing to God? For this very reason, the knowledge has been altered and distorted, and religion was established, which is very convenient, very profitable, and controls not only people's wallets, but their consciousnesses as well. Isn't this true, friends? When did Jesus Christ say that all of us are equal and no one should be superior or inferior, that we should love one another and live like brothers? He spoke of the Creative Society two thousand years ago, while we have only been developing the consumerist format and serving Satan. Maybe it's enough. Maybe it's time to come to our senses, friends. Am I not right? I'm sorry for being blunt, but people should know the truth. It's not just a matter of living here, but also of the destiny after the death of their bodies. They should know. Igri Mikhailovich, you said that basically the right to cut those anchors was given to a group. Yet could anyone do that individually? Do you mean not by a group, but on one's own? Yes. Someone could. A messenger of God. The one whom the Lord endowed with this power. But, excuse me, over the entire history we know all of them by names. But how can, let's say, even someone who hides behind the name of God's messenger do that? With what? With what power? By what means did God give him that power? No. Well, the messengers can. Once you and I spoke on this subject that, yes, the one who has been sent by the Lord God to this sinful earth can even grant life to the dead. Grant life. But why does an inevitably dead slave of Satan equate himself to your prophets. Tell me, friends, and you perceive that as normal. The devil applauds you even for this one point, because you take his side. You take an ordinary man just as sinful as you are with the same problems, and you elevate him to the level of God's Messenger, who is able to command Satan who is able to cut anchors and who is able to grant life to the dead. Come to your senses, people. Come on, grow up, at least in these matters. Everything is indeed very serious. Well, the group can do that. Well, again, the group means not a group or a gathering of people, in some religion who call themselves monks. Just look at those monks, my friends. The group is really those who serve the Lord God. And do you know what's interesting here? Why exactly a group? First of all, there should be at least 12 people. Well, in general, the group consists of 12 people. And even if someone weakens, on the spiritual path, she already causes a dissonance in the whole group. 
Well, the group, first and foremost, those very Alathyara, are people who not only strive for God, but they also protect and defend other people who are going to God in this world. In other words, they are the conductors of that power which comes from God and is sent to everyone who loves the Lord God. It strengthens the love of ordinary laymen who aspire to God. So the Alathyara, or the Alat sisters, who were before the Alathyara, are exactly that link between the spiritual world and the sinful world, this world of Satan. Yes, they serve only God. Most of the time they are in contact with the spiritual world and in love for God. Yes, they can do that, because they have the right, but only as a group. None of them alone, nor a few of them, would be able to possess that right. Why? Because even if one of them is tempted to do that on her own, she would begin to destabilize the entire group, and the group would simply remove such people and replace them with those who really strive for God. These are the immutable laws given by God, and they are never violated by anyone. As for everything else, it's a game that is very easy to verify. It's very easy to verify, let's say, in history, when people paid tithes, gave away property, how they ended up and everything else, and possessing certain techniques that enable one to interact with the world of the dead, it is very easy to find those who have been paying tribute to Satan all their lives through his organizations. Here's the truth of life, friends. Why are they not in heaven? After all, they obeyed and acted. The truth of life, friends. Grow up. This is life. It is worth it. Now it's clear, Igor Mikhailovich, why in the previous video you also said that the right was given to the group and it was sort of a security measure. Also, Igor Mikhailovich, there is the following question. Were there several such groups with the Knights Templar? Did they exist in various regions? No, it's impossible. The group can only be one in the world. After the Alat sisters, there remained the Alat Yara. We won't recount that. This information is available in our videos. Whoever wants to will find it. And this group was renewed when some of the Alathyara left, the worthiest ones, took their place. Again, why was there always 72 of them? Well, as a matter of fact, the group includes 12 people. And why 72, even everywhere, such a popular number? Because the group consists of 12 people, while the rest are candidates, the majority of whom actually served the Alathyara. But at the same time, they were the candidates. When some of the Alathyara left this world and joined Allah, the worthiest had the honor to occupy this position. Although, in fact, even those who were near the Alathyara, all of them were alive. The dead were not admitted there. Of course, those were admitted who were learning, who embarked on the path. If we take those very nice Templar, they created such a group. And it really worked. Well, again, I'll go back, say, and repeat once again, because consciousness will disturb people. The ancient Alathyara, 
had few people who were brought to them. Why? An image and a name. That's what should be known. There were no digital cameras and things like that in their time. So an image was conveyed, well, deceased people were brought to the first Alatiara, but it was a very small number of people who really needed such help. While in the time of Knights Templar the workload was enormous, however, the Alatiara helped only those whom they believed they had to help. Yet they didn't help the dead, they helped the living by protecting them from the dead and they helped them exclusively and selectively. Although at first day, yes, when the group was formed, they helped a lot, they really helped many people. But as the workload increased, they already helped those living people who were on the spiritual path, who were helping the Order, so they helped those people in return. This lasted for quite a long time, until the Knights Templar were overcome by greed. In the beginning it was really the order of spirit, but later on it became an order of trivial profit. That's true. Let's say, they removed the young generation, they waited for the grown-up generation to leave and didn't renew the order. But when they were driven into a corner and realized that, that the devil had defeated them, and their end was approaching, they hastily tried to restore the order. But the Lord didn't let them do that anymore. Everyone makes their choice and is responsible for it. That's the point. The Knights Templar killed their heart, the heart of their order, and their heart was exactly the Alat sisters. Well, without a heart, no organism can live long. So the Knights reaped what they had sown, just like many people in this world. Think, friends, what you saw and where, and what you will have to reap. This is the truth of life. Igor Mikhailovich, in the previous video you also said that all the gold in the world is not worth the life of one angel. Of course it's not worth it. And that people who really followed the spiritual path were the people for whom this matter wasn't important as such. You recalled your good friend, such as a Baba. And you know, we received a question, it is such an unusual question about Satya Sai Baba. People requested to ask you if he has reincarnated again and whether they will be able to see, to see him in this lifetime. Yes. My friends, I will answer this question as follows. Yes, there will be many rumors that he has reincarnated there or there. In reality, I'll put it this way, for the first time in many centuries, the incarnation of my good friend Sai Baba in this world is influenced by us people and not by his choice. He wants to come here. He loves this world. This is really true. He loves this world very much. However, if we don't change what is coming, he will not come here, because he won't have time to gain strength before he will have to leave from here. Those who understand will understand, while the rest don't need it. But for those who love him, I'll say that he really wants to come here, and he really loves this world very much. 
He perceives it as his second home, while those who are acquainted with him know this anyway. We also receive the following comments regarding some kind of injustice in the world order, let's put it so. The situation is the following. What should those people do who worked from dawn to dusk? They went on foot, worked in the fields from sunrise to sunset, walked with songs and tools and returned home after dark. At home there was a crowd of children waiting for them and a household, and everyone had to be fed. When would they have time to engage in spiritual practices? Will these women, who didn't know happiness, who earned very little, who had no opportunity to rest, who didn't have days off, would also become sub personalities there, in the heavenly chancery. A question arises, is there no justice either on earth or in heaven? How can we comment on this question and this situation? This question? Yet I have a question for the person who asked this question. Who seized the microphone in you? Definitely not the one who is going to God. What kind of injustice is here, tell me? A person has plowed his entire life like a tractor, right? However, if the Lord wanted a human to work like a tractor, he would have made him a tractor. Really? However, he made him a human. Isn't that true? Yes, you cannot turn all ants into angels, in fact. Right. Well, in this case, it turns out that, well, there are actually a lot of such people. It's not only about this woman. There are many. They rose before dawn, went into the fields with songs and hoes, worked like tractors, then propagated like rabbits, spending all their lives in worries and problems. Yet I have a question. Who forbade them to love God? Did a hoe prevent them from loving God? Or did their offspring? prevent them from loving God. So what kind of injustice are you talking about? Or during the songs they sang as they went to work, was it impossible to love God? There is no time to practice. They had time to propagate, but didn't have time to love God. Guys, you know, really, it's like they say, the devil's advocate, yes? Well, this is subpersonality's advocate. For this kind of question comes either from a potential subpersonality or from the one who controls this personality. Because this subject of injustice and blaming God for what the devil is doing, this is such a trick from Satan, there is no other way to put it. Right. For instance, why do we have wars? Just because we are beasts, because we are ruled by the dead. That's why we have wars. And that's why we are unfair to each other. Isn't that so? What does God have to do with it? God gave a human a chance to gain life. But instead of gaining life, we go and take life from someone else, without even thinking or knowing what we ourselves will pay for it. That's how the world is arranged. Satan rules here, and the dead help him. But it seems to me this is wrong. The Lord gave this world to people. After all, He didn't give it either to the dead or to the devil. Isn't this what your prophets spoke about? But we stopped listening to the prophets and followed those who oppressed and killed them. We, people, made this world the way it is. And now we blame God for that. Doesn't this remind you of anything? Double and triple standards are Satan's favorite manipulation and game. 
This way the dead amuse themselves with the living. This is wrong, friends. Nobody, not even the devil himself, can hinder a human if he makes his choice to serve the Lord God and to gain life. He will gain it anyway. But you must be firm on your path. Whereas if you are tempted by a song, a shot of alcohol, or something else, do not set hopes on your Satan afterwards. He won't help you. And do not criticize God because you didn't go to Him. Is this not true? You don't want to hear this. You want it to be fair. I live the way I want, I do what I want, and then God sends me angels, so to say, they take me into their arms and bring me to paradise. Here, the priest's fairy tale is very appropriate. For this very reason you were given this fairy tale, so that you would be obedient sheep in the hands of the dead who are ruled by Satan. People, wake up! Life is worth it. Okay, Tatiana. I understand that this topic is important, that people need it. But you know, I still want to talk about life. Let the dead take care of their dead. Right. Many people say that a lack of knowledge can surely absolve from responsibility, but at all times there were actually people who found these grains of truth. So it turns out that they resonated with this purity. In any religion, if those who altered and distorted the knowledge of the Prophets, establishing religions as Satan's tool, if they would. I understand that many people will now become furious about Satan's tool, which is mentioned today, when the priests of religions bless you for doing material deeds, when they take tribute from you and perform rituals for success, your success in business, or for health, when a priest reads a prayer for the repose of a deceased person supposedly helping him in the other world. Isn't that magic, my friends? But who practices magic? When all the Prophets, when Jesus Christ forbade practicing magic, when the best of people, the Prophet Muhammad, said that magic is wrong. Isn't that true? Think for yourselves. I'm sorry, but this is frankness. I just… People are indignant. It's just that, indeed, everything depends on this inner purity. I didn't want to offend anyone among fanatics of religions. I'm sorry. You have a full right. You are free citizens. You have the right to believe in any religion. You have the right to accept any terms of the game. It's the freedom of choice given to you by God. But, at least, think about love for God, think about life. That will be right. Life is worth it, after all. You know, Igor Mikhailovich, in one of the videos you told us about a good friend of yours 
who had pleased you very much with his success on the spiritual path because he had swiftly and rapidly gained life. And you said that on his spiritual path he even caused losses to the system. You then said that some people, while performing spiritual practices, they have hippos and monkeys running around in their territory. And on top of that, they do those spiritual practices hugging a bear, while your friends squeezed out even a mosquito. And, of course, a question arose whether it is possible to take power from a subpersonality. For instance, a subpersonality accidentally enters the wrong territory, comes to the wrong address, and it comes out not just with nothing, but really hungry and barefoot. Friends, it's a wonderful question. I understand your initiative, but it's impossible to take away anything from the dead. So, friends, let's take a mature approach to this issue. In reality, there is only one way to take something away from the dead and to steal from the system in general. Really rob it, this is to become alive. Just to gain life, despite all the resistance of the dead, demons, evil spirits, and all this entire, let's say, all the collective organization of theirs, of those who live at the expense of the living, then yes, it is possible to take power from subpersonalities that, let's say, live in a person and dominate him. You can, by becoming alive. And when you leave for the best of the worlds that there can be in general, the world of God, then all subpersonalities if they were inside you, will simply cease to exist, and their entire power will vanish. In my opinion, this is wonderful, this is really good. Then nobody will have power over you. And this makes sense. This is what all people come here for, in order to gain life. Well, everything else is what shaitan is doing. However, despite all this filth from shaitan, we must… You know, I already said it before, and I'll repeat it once again, like the lotus flower, from this filth and decay, from this swamp, we must actually rise before the sun in our purity. So, friends, let's just love each other, Thank you. Thank you so much, Igor Mikhailovich. Thank you, friends. And let's not just love each other, but also strive for the spiritual world. And most importantly, let's love our Lord God. He is one, no matter what we call Him. Let's finally realize this and reconcile. Peace be with you, friends.